this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. It's the weekend, so relax and listen to some stories the whole family can enjoy. That's right, it's the Saturday Story Circle, here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. Chapter 13 The Red Panda opened his eyes and was, for an instant, alarmed by the pitch blackness before him. He froze, stock still, in the hard wooden chair in which he had awoken. To his left there was a soft padding sound approaching, and something else, a smell like burnt caramel that could only be one thing. "'Rise and shine, Puddinhead,' he heard Kit sing as a cup of her terrible coffee was set on the table before him. He was still groggy, still confused." "'Your face is on crooked,' she said as she took his head in her hands "'and struggled as best she could with the bright red domino mask. "'For an instant she pulled the mask's lenses in front of his eyes "'and he could see her, half-seated on the edge of the work-table in their crime lab, "'her hair piled carelessly on top of her head "'and wearing that long green coat she had taken to for her days off. "'She had obviously made her way from the new section of pneumatic tube "'rather than entered via the mansion, "'as she hadn't bothered with her chauffeur's uniform.' Then, as quickly as she appeared, she pulled the mask again, and the lenses shifted to the left, leaving him blind once more. "'Be careful,' he warned, his hands darting up and touching hers for an instant before she pulled away. "'You'll trip the mask's safety charge and give yourself a shock.' He removed the mask himself and rubbed his eyes. He could just see her with her chin cupped in her hands, giving him a look like a small, dull boy of whom she was very fond." If the static electrical charge was still alive, the mask couldn't have slipped in the first place. Somebody let it run down, she admonished gently, taking the mask from him and heading for the piece of equipment against the wall. There's coffee if you want it. He took the cup gratefully. Her coffee was not unlike warm tar, but it certainly did get a fellow going after a long night. He watched her refresh the charge generator he had built into his mask to prevent it from being removed were he captured. After a moment he realized he was not actually watching any part of her that was using the equipment, and he turned his head hastily. "'Should you be here?' he asked casually. "'I'm right as rain, and I don't need you to tell me different,' she smiled. "'I had a full night's sleep for the first time and I don't know how long.' "'You shouldn't rush back into action,' he stood, trying not to grimace as he creaked to his full height. "'You took a nasty knock.' She drew herself up to her own, considerably less full height, and bristled slightly. "'When I'm not here, you don't even have the sense to take your mask off, much less go to bed.' He smiled, rejecting every quip that sprang to his mind. "'I had a little night-table reading,' he said over the rim of his cup. "'I gathered,' she said, picking up the file Constable Parker had given him early that morning. "'Not exactly war and peace,' she mused, her lips pursed. I had to make the rounds first. We were out of commission for two days. 
Did we miss anything? Nothing definite. Hard to say. No word on any of the loot from the Empire Bank job going through any of the usual fences. Some rumbles about a connection that might have run them out of town. I've put Gregor Sampson on it. With his underworld connections as Miles Grant, he should pass unnoticed. Any more idea of just what was taken? No more than you could get in the Morning Chronicle. She batted her eyelashes. I get the paper with little Abner. He nodded. That's tough, but fair. The list is on the side table over there. Every item that the customers who kept those boxes have reported stolen. She glanced at it and gave a low whistle. Not too shabby. Yes, there's one major problem with that list, of course, he said, splashing some water on his face. What's that? Well, at least some of it is complete fiction. The Behringers, for example, reported a loss of nearly $100,000 in untraceable assets. They've been teetering on the brink of bankruptcy for months now, perhaps more. An insurance scam? She seemed to be looking for a link. Very likely, but a crime of opportunity at best. Jed Behringer is hardly a master criminal. I can't imagine he'll even get away with this, but I know we don't have time to care. In any event, it makes trying to trace the items on that list a bit of a mug's game. What about this? she said, holding the file aloft slightly. This come from our boy in blue? Parker? Yes. It makes for interesting reading. It certainly kept you riveted. Just read the file. I'm going to change. Yes, boss, she said, watching him go. She sat for a moment, trying not to think of reasons to stand outside the door of his changing room and talk to him as he dressed. It was a bad habit, and she knew it must be bad because of the giddy thrill it gave her. Besides, she had to focus. She furrowed her brow and buried herself in Parker's file. Five minutes later, he was back, disguised as ne'er-do-well August Fenwick, looking properly disheveled in rumpled evening dress, his bow-tie hanging loose about his neck. She tried not to smile as she shook her head at him. "'I don't know why you do that,' she said, biting her lip. "'It's for the benefit of the staff,' he said seriously. "'When I don't come home, they think the worst of me already. "'Much easier to reinforce their expectations.' And I had to write a hundred notes to my mother for every contingency. That's different, he said gravely, and she knew it would be pointless to argue with him. What did you learn? I don't suppose this is a mistake, she asked hopefully. It isn't, he replied. Okay, she sighed, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. There were eight guards left in the Empire Bank when the vault was breached. The cops questioned all eight separately, and they all told the same story. Not that unusual when you say it like that. He raised an eyebrow. But they all told the exact same story. Each of them claims to have been in the corridor to the east of the vault on their regular rounds. They heard a cry from one of the other guards and ran to the atrium where they saw no one. They made their way back downstairs and each and every one of them claims to have been the one that discovered the open vault door with no one else around. Yes, he nodded. Should we go? She stood and followed him across the hall. But, boss, this doesn't make any sense at all. Why would they each tell the same story? The police certainly don't seem to be bothered by the sheer stupidity of it. They're holding all eight guards and trying to build a case for conspiracy. He opened the door that led into the launch bay for their pneumatic tubes. They strode across the room, Kit still shaking her head as she followed behind. But if eight guys were trying to get their stories straight, why wouldn't they invent eight different versions of the same story, he said with a grin? Eight different roles within the same felonious little pageant? Well, yeah. 
Or failing that, how about absolutely any other plan you could possibly think of? How about that? How about anything even slightly less moronic or suspicious than eight totally identical stories? She stopped short and crossed her arms. She was almost sure he knew something that he wasn't telling her. It took him a second to realize she had stopped walking. When he did, he came back to her at once, standing a little closer than he usually did, and not nearly as close as she wished he would. It's a bad lie, isn't it? he said gently. The worst, she nodded. Makes no sense at all, he asked. None. Less than none. He cocked his head to one side. Then I suppose they must be telling the truth, he smiled. But but that makes even less sense, she protested. Less than less than none, he was toying with her now. She narrowed her eyes and said nothing. She hoped he didn't realize it was because she was biting the inside of her cheeks to keep from kissing him. I'll see you in a few minutes, he said, walking up the steps towards the tube marked Mansion, oblivious. You're not just going to appear in the library, are you? she called. He paused. It's a good point. I'll take the coach house tube and walk up the lane as if a taxi dropped me off. Classy, she smirked, stepping into the tube marked Garage. I'll have the car out front in ten minutes, she said. He assumed the slightly woozy manner of a wealthy young cad who had been out all night. Splendid, he said. I'll be down in twenty. Sonic Summerstock Playhouse is on the air! Exclusively on Mutual, the Summerstock Playhouse is an annual celebration of old-time radio remakes by modern-day audio drama producers, each putting their own special spin on a classic program. Don't miss a single episode, Sundays in July and August, only on Mutual. Better living through audio.